I, I wonder just how many here tonight really have any understanding or knowledge of, of Dr. Bill Jones or the now late Dr. Bill Jones. I, I know some of you are aware, or Bill Jones, pardon me, Bill Woods. I, <laughs> thank you for pulling that face. My wife just pulled a face there. <laughs> it made me think, I was like, something's wrong in what I'm saying here. So anyway, Bill Woods, Dr. Bill Woods. Um, Bill Jones was here last Wednesday, so I think my mind is somewhere there. But Bill Woods, how many of you know him? And he's been mentioned, I've mentioned him. Those of you who have been part of this church for long enough, maybe have some personal experience with him. I don't know how many times he was here. I, I do know, uh, I looked up in Sermon Audio, there's one instance of him being here back in 1977. So it was actually refreshing to hear him in a much, as a much younger man at that time. And uh, the sad thing about it is it cuts off early. He doesn't get to finish his message, but he was here way back then when this church, even before it was on Sharon Drive, never mind on Haywood Road. It's uh, hearing the news of his passing just is one, another one of those instances when you realize that there has been a loss to the church. I think my first time seeing him or witnessing him was actually, I was, I was really a new believer. I hadn't been saved very long. And some of you will remember also the launching of The Barnabas Factor, a book on the Missionary Council of the Free Presbyterian Church that was written by Dr. Cairns. And that book was being launched, I think, around 02 or 03. And Bill Woods happened to be there along with Dr. Cairns at the launch. I think that's right. I hope I'm not misremembering. I seem to remember that that was one of the occasions when I first came across him. If I'm wrong, well, maybe that is my memory. But my minister, Reverend David Park, took a real love and liking to Bill Woods and, and sought to encourage him as much as he could. He visited Brazil at least three times and uh, endeavored to have him over for the annual missionary weekend that they host in that church in Balamone every January. He was an inspiration to many. Of that there is no doubt. A man born just two years before World War II and who had a very difficult childhood. His father went to war and so the first six years, well, from two to about eight or so, his father it wasn't there and war going on and the life that that brought upon uh, those in the city particularly. He was physically weak, he was always sick, and as famously he has been known, he was a very poor student. He did not do well at school at all. Uh, he was the youngest, I think, of them, I think about five or so siblings. And uh, he tells a story in, in, one of his, uh, in one of the accounts where he talks about his childhood that uh, his, his siblings would do well at school. And then when it came to him, he said, my mother had had her shoe off before she even opened the test results uh, as an indication of the discipline he was about to receive for not being a very diligent student. And yet what's amazing is what God did through him. He was converted under the ministry of Ian Paisley at 14, and he committed his life to God as a young boy in his teens and knew that he wanted to be a missionary at some stage early on, 
and was greatly challenged by the death of Ina Orr. Now, I don't know if that name is familiar here, but Fred and Ina Orr went to Brazil as a missionary couple uh, in the, I, I guess this was probably late 50s, early 60s, and uh, on the travel out there, bear in mind that travel at that time from the UK to Brazil was a three, at least to that part of Brazil, the heart of the Amazon, was a three-month journey. And before she made it to the destination, she passed away and was buried at the side of the river. Well, that news came back to Northern Ireland and, and really affected many people. And one that it affected was, was uh, our brother Bill Woods. And he felt the need to go then as a missionary. And he went out to that land after some training, not really all that much in light of the work that he was to engage in, was what you might call just a, in a sense, just a, a regular missionary, um, in the sense he went out there to a very needy area by the rivers of, of, of Brazil in the heart of the Amazon. And while he was there, he tells a story, and many of you have heard this before. I'd been there about a year when uh, some of the missionaries he was working with went, returned home on furlough, and they would come, people would come knowing they could get medical help at times from these missionaries, and they came while he was there. And on one occasion, there was this boy who had been bitten by a venomous snake, uh, one that everyone knew that really you had no uh, hope if you didn't get uh, medical treatment, go to a hospital. Now, this is the middle of nowhere. And you, you, the plane would come in once a week or so on Thursdays with supplies. That was your only hope of getting to the hospital. And this young boy is bitten the day after the, the plane normally comes. So plane would come on a Thursday. He's bitten on a Friday. And, and when Bill no, hears this, he realizes there's no way this boy's going to make it. So when he comes to him and he says, I'm a missionary, I'll pray for you. And the boy looks at him and says in his mother tongue, he says, I don't want you to pray for me. I want you to do something. Do something. And a few days later, well, he, that boy died. And then a few days later, he had another instance where a child was sent by his mother to bring food to, to Bill. And bringing the food, if you, I don't know if you saw the documentary, they try and reenact it, but the little boy brings his food and Bill takes the food from, takes the bowl from him and realizes it's like roasting hot. And I said, do you, do you not realize you're, you're being burned? Whatever. But the boy didn't feel it because he had uh, Hansen's disease uh, in his extremities and so couldn't feel that his skin was being burned. And uh, those instances, as well as maybe one or two others, really began to impress upon him that he needed to be able to offer more than just the gospel to these people. And about six years later or so, he began his, his training uh, for medicine. Now, the story, I, I'm just peppering you with the early sort of scenes of his life. Uh, it's one you, you should be acquainted with because a lot of the stories we hear of tremendous missionaries happen in a bygone era. Sometimes you wonder, will we ever see the like of those people again? And as I said in my, in my email that I sent out, that and I don't think the Reverend Park really was overstating when you think of the term as we may use it, that, that, that Dr. Woods was, at the, at the time when he said it, he was a living legend. 
a living legend. I know that today that uh, the president of Brazil released a public statement of condolences with his passing. The governor of Acre, the state of Brazil in which Dr. Woods labored, also released a statement with his passing. Um, he, as I said, was conferred with a, uh, an OBE by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II as well back in 1997. So you're dealing with someone who achieved remarkable things and yet couldn't pass an exam in school. It's a tremendous example of a life consecrated to God. What God can accomplish through a life consecrated to Him. And this is why our children need to have a knowledge of these heroes, these heroes of the faith. They need to read the book, Angel of the Amazon. I, I didn't take, it was, was in my head, but I, I forgot to look to see if it's in our book room. But uh, if you're struggling to get some copies, I, I will try my best maybe to get some copies of Angel of the Amazon. But I think we may have some available that you can loan out. Yeah, I, I think some are aware that they're there. So it's worth reading, especially to those of you who homeschool, of the, uh, the, just a life and you think about those words, do something. Just do something. Well, I was reading Exodus 3, and this is where Moses is called to do something. Do something. And I was looking at the, the language just of verse 10. You know what I do. I take sort of three words, try to hone my, my thoughts, my meditation for prayer around three words. And on this occasion, verse 10, come now therefore. I was just thinking about that, how it pulls in a lot of what's going on here. Come now therefore. First note, the command given, come, come. We sometimes think of this word as an invitation, and it is, it is an invitation. But it's also a command. It is an imperative. When you read the language of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, it is in the imperative. He's not making a suggestion. It's not a, a response where people can be faultless by rejecting it. If you reject the invitation, you're breaking the command. Come. It's the same in John 7. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. It's in the imperative. It's the same at the end of your Bible in Revelation 22. Let him that is a thirst come. It is in the imperative. The Lord invites, but he invites by reason of command, by way of command. He is commanding men to come to him. It's the same when Noah receives the word from God, come thou and all thy house into the ark. Genesis 7 verse 1. It's an imperative. Come, come. Now, the, the invitation of it shows the tenderness, but don't lose sight of the imperative. Come. It's being commanded of men to come. Now, most here tonight would profess to be saved. And so, as you go through language like John 7, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, you say, I've done that. I've done that. I have come. But Moses here gets the same instruction. Come, now therefore, come. Language of invitation, but language of command. Moses is being told what to do as a believer. It's time for you to move 
Moses, come. So you have heard the voice of Jesus Christ calling you to himself in repentance and faith. I hope that's true of the boys and girls as well, that you've received the command to come to Jesus. You are to obey that command. But for those of us who profess faith in Christ, it doesn't stop there. That's not the last command we receive. The Lord calls us over and over again, come, just like he did for Moses here, come. I have a work for you to do. Do something. Do something. We are living in a time where we are, as I indicated on Sunday night, we're comfortable. I, I, I am very appreciative of the degree of labor that goes on in this congregation, so don't take this as me uh, those of you who are laboring and busy and you have your calling and you know very specifically what God has called you to do and you're obeying it to the best of your ability, don't take this as a criticism, but it, it, it behooves us all to make sure that we are doing something. I've mentioned it many times, but you can't escape Saul of Tarsus's first response to the Lord Jesus on his conversion when he says, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, one of the things that stands out in Dr. Woods' life is the fact that he had already obeyed the command to be saved. He obeyed the command to be a missionary. And he obeyed the command to go to Brazil. You might imagine now that he is a missionary out going up and down the rivers in the, the heart of the, the Amazon jungle where you can't even begin to can just comprehend the kind of life out there and what you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. If you watch the documentary, he talks a little there about the getting used to the rats running along the, the, the top of your bed and so on. I mean, this, this is life. And all the, I mean, every beast that can kill is probably there in the heart of the Amazon. Creature comforts are gone. And yet still, there, having answered the call, having obeyed the command, on a number of instances, still there, he hears the voice of God saying, come. This time to do something that was perhaps the scariest thing that he had ever thought of doing, going back to school. <laughs> going back to school. Having to go to school. Not just for a technical college for a couple of years to learn to be a carpenter. After a year or two, you're already out there serving your time, getting your license and so on. No, medicine. Medicine. And if you read the story of his training, it took him not just to Brazil, but to India, to, I think he was a year back in Belfast in the Royal Hospital there, and uh, other places, I think, in Europe as well, learning to, because he had, had to have specific skills to address the pressing need of Hansen's disease and other diseases that were, that were rife in that region. And so it required an investment, which again is, is it just this investment of years of schooling before he could go back and labor among the people and be recognized by governments. 
in Brazil and Britain and perhaps other places too. He heard another command. Do something. Do something. So let me ask you, beloved, what are you doing? This is not an answer you need to give to me. It's an answer you must give before God. What are you doing? Young people, let me ask you, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Surrendered. Have you ever experienced consecration? Where you give your life to God, you you, you say, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me down the street to work at the supermarket. Send me into the office to ply my trade as accountant. Send me to the other side of the world to be a missionary. Whatever it is, send me there, Lord. Send me there. I will do whatever you want me to do. There are too many. And I, 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 sit, I, I, I don't get this mindset. I mean, I get it. I understand it. <laughs> I think I, I struggle at times to comprehend it. This resistance to a fully surrendered life. But I know through personal testimony of people telling me they're afraid. They're afraid because if they they surrender their life, they're, they're afraid of what that might entail. It takes their hands off the wheel, off the rudder of their little ship of their life. And they're afraid of where that might lead and what that might do. I tell you, you should live in fear of not doing that. You should be petrified that you will stand before Jesus someday and say, I held on to my life. It should scare you. Your life is not yours. Christ did not shed his blood for you to call the shots from your conversion to your glorification. It's blasphemy. The aimless Christian, more often than not, is a disobedient Christian. The one who doesn't know his calling, what it is he is doing, why he is doing it, why God has put him there, and what he's meant to be doing in that. So let me encourage you. Just ask the question, honestly, soberly, sincerely, worshipfully, even tonight, inaudibly to the rest of us, but heard in heaven, in this pew where you sit tonight, bow your head, and you say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Here's my life. Come. Come. It's a command. It's a command. And it has to be obeyed. The current need. Come now, therefore. Therefore. This brings in the context, doesn't it? First, we might say it is a day of death, the day in which Moses lives, a day of death. The context of Moses' call is the tragic circumstances of the children of Israel. Pharaoh was on a mission to work every grown man to death and to cast every son into the river. That's the mission he's on. You go back and you read it, that's what he's doing. He's working every grown man to death and he wants to throw every infant boy into the river. He wants to rob the Israelites of all their future 
Women are key in God's purpose, but so are men. Men defend and men build. If you don't have defenses, if you can't build, you have no future. And it behooves every man to know that you, as a man, that is no mistake by God. You're a man. Same for a woman. There's no mistake. You are what God has made you. That brings about responsibility. You have to embrace that responsibility. In this instance, it's a very keen attack. Kill all the males. Work them to death. Throw the babies in the river. So Moses, as a man, is called to a day of death. It is also a day of anguish, isn't it? Because of all that's going on. Go back to the end of chapter 2, verse 23. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. I can't read this verse without ever thinking to myself, I think they had a little sense of hope. Yes. Yes. He's dead. He's dead. Maybe the next Pharaoh will be merciful. A change in the regime will bring a change in our circumstances. If only the government changes, so will our future. But another Pharaoh arose who was just as bad. And so I think sort of in, in the middle of this text, you have an event that takes place. The king of Egypt dies. Hope rises. Yes, another president. We got our man in. The old is out. In with the new, hope and expectation, all building around this different personality. But he's not in long. The children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. Nothing has changed. So they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. We read it in verse 7 of chapter 3. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. A day of anguish. Their boys are still in danger. The men are still being worked to death. Nothing has changed. I look at our day and I see the same patterns. Maybe this time next year, change of present will make a meaningful change in America. Really? We just had a state, Ohio, a Republican state, voted Republican. 2016-2020, likely to re vote Republican 2024, still calling for the death of the unborn. Let's give the states a right to decide. 
That's what, that's what we wanted. Give the states the right to decide. Roe we Wade's gone. Give the states the right. And you have a state vote Republican twice, likely to vote Republican again, and they asked for the ongoing slaughter of the unborn. That's what happened yesterday. Beloved, when are you going to wake up? The problems are not concentrated on the White House. They're not concentrated on the governors. They're not concentrated in the Democratic Party. They're concentrated in the heart of men. The problem's in the heart of men. Go to Ezekiel 20. You get a little history here that isn't immediately clear in Moses' account. There, there are indications of it, but it's very clear here. In Ezekiel 20, just read from verse, verse, we'll just read from verse 6. In the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them, unto his people, to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land that I had espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. This, this, is, this is Moses' day. The prophet is revealing what was going on in Moses' day. They're being told, set aside the abominations. I am the Lord your God, end of verse 7. Verse 8, but they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them, and bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt, wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and so on and so forth. You see the context? This was not, this was, <laughs> this was not good v. evil. This was not the bad guys, the Egyptians and the good Israelites. The Israelites were wicked. The children of Israel were filled with abominations and idolatry and worshipping all sorts of falsehoods. Why? Because they had the same heart problem as the Egyptians. Same heart problem. The only deliverance was in the redemptive message of the gospel, divine intervention. God remembering his covenant that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and for the sake of his covenant, bringing deliverance to his people. That's the only hope. And please don't let it be said that, that you, you missed the connection. The connection for America is it's the same message. It's the gospel that sets nations free. It's the gospel that men need to hear. It's the gospel that will change this land. Any plans, any manifestos, any purposes to see things turn around that look, oh, maybe a change in government will make a difference. It's idolatry. That's what it is. Idolatry. You're worshipping men. 
I'm saying this because we're a year away from a, a rising tide of lunacy in this country. And there's enough lunacy out there. Let it not be in here. Let it not be in here. Let it be a people who walk by faith, who trust God. And this is where I say the come, therefore, the come, therefore, is to a place of intercessory prayer and laboring in the gospel. Preacher, what am I to do amidst all that's going on in America? Preach the gospel. Whatever outreaches are involved or anything you can put your hand to to make Christ known, get his word into the hands of men and women, do that. Don't share videos about, oh, look at this great speech that this politician gave. There's no hope in it. God's face is against it. His face is for his son. It's for his son. So when are we going to wake up? When are we going to wake up? Are we in a day of death? Yes, we're slaying. We got rid of Roe v. Wade. We're still voting to kill our unborn. Conservative states, so-called. So we are in the day of death. We are in a day of anguish. And we have looked and had hope for this and that and the other. Yes, Roe v. Wade has fallen. Great hope. When are you going to sigh by reason of the bondage? When? Is it not time? Is it not time? It's also a day of hope. It's a day of hope. It's a day of hope because in the middle of all of this, God reveals himself to Moses. Verse 2 of chapter 3, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not, so on and so forth. Not read it all. God is revealing himself. He is revealing himself. He is speaking. He is communicating. The worst thing that can happen is when God falls silent. When God's silent, you may as well bury the soul, bury the family, bury the nation. There's no hope. But when God is still speaking, there's hope. It's that voice we need to hear. It's those words we need to hear. The voice of hope and redemptive mercy. And this is what Moses hears. That God is still communicating amidst the tragic circumstances of all that's happening in Egypt. God speaks. So, let me state it clearly. Anytime God is revealing his word to men, there is hope. Is God revealing his word to men? Today? He's doing it right now. Right now. What we're doing, what we're, we're sitting here in this place, this ordinary assembly of a Wednesday night, and you're having a visible demonstration that God has not withheld his mercy, that there is still hope. But he is telling you that that hope is in himself to give your attention to his word. Any day in which the cross of Christ is preached and forgiveness is available for sinners, there is hope. Any occasion when God's people can be comforted by the knowledge that their God is a covenant-keeping God, there is hope. Is the Bible available to Greenville? Praise God, still available to Greenville. Is the gospel still preached in Greenville? 
Praise God. It's still preached in Greenville. Is there Christian fellowship in Greenville? Praise God. There's still some semblance of it. There is hope. By what is it all for? Because there was a remnant amidst all the idolatry among the children of Israel. And we're told in Ezekiel there was idolatry. Amidst all the idolatry in the children of Israel, there was a remnant. And that remnant sighed by reason of the bondage. It wasn't everyone. Don't imagine that every child, all the children of Israel were calling on God. No, they weren't. They weren't. Because it's never that way. It's never everyone calling on God. It's a remnant. It's a remnant. It's mothers with child fearful that they carry a son who's going to die and are seeing before God, God of mercy, have mercy on us. It's a father who so desperately wants a son and yet at the same time is so conflicted because if one is born, he might have to walk, watch him being marched off by the wicked Egyptians and thrown into the river. They sigh by reason of the bondage. They cry out to their God, dear God, intervene. Remember your word to your fathers. Remember. And God remembered. Remembered. Oh, it wasn't a great march against Pharaoh. That would never do. He would have slaughtered them in a heartbeat. It was not some undercurrent grassroots movement to start warfare against the enemy. Nope. No, no, no. It was in little houses scattered across Egypt, up in that northern part. There where their fathers had settled all those years before. It was there where in little houses cries were going up. Dear God, remember your promise to our fathers. That's what needs to happen here. Lord, remember your promise. You take God's word and you say, Lord, remember. Remember. Come now, therefore, which brings us to the final point. Time is gone. The correct response, come now, therefore. It's not time to wait. Time to respond is today. For you, for me, for us all. Today. If you're fed up with headlines that glory in the slaughter of innocence, the time is now to pray. This is where every person who attends this church needs to be. If they're any way able, they need to be in these pews on Wednesdays. They need to be at other occasions to pray. Even the meetings before. The meetings before. And I, I, I'm for the fellowship. I don't mind the fellowship. But there's some who need to sense, no, I'm called to intercessory prayer not to make visitors welcome in this church. Someone else can do that. I'm called to go into that prayer meeting before the morning and the evening service. And I'm called because God can do great things sitting in these pews, things that are beyond what we can ask or think by the declaration of his word. Come now, therefore. Time is now. I'll respond. 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 Do you hear his word, do you? Has God gone silent to you? Have you ever consecrated your life? Lord help us. We're going to sing.